am Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same stories without checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 gentlemen it is when you see this thursday night um i chose to go with the dangerous democracy intro video again uh because our guest this week also is relevant in a long roundabout way to that um with the world being in the way that it is um it comes down to this the entire system is designed to keep you in to that system. It's designed to keep you plugged into that system. Uh, it's designed to keep you subservient to your overlords, whether it's paying taxes, whether it's, you know, being stuck with property taxes or buying, um, you know, their water when instead you would rather collect rainwater, which is cleaner uh, for 99% of the population of the planet. Um, but Tonight's guest, we're going to talk about, you know, being local, staying local, um, and focusing on your individual lives and your neighbors and just just trying to rebuild your community. Um, even though the system works every single day to destroy your community, to force you to be a part of this massive collective. Um, so we're going to do the ad reads. I just, I just took my screen away. Let's see. Where can you find us? Well, that's a great question, Susie. Uh, you can find us on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Twitter, Anchor, and Spotify. And your mom's house. And your mom's house. We'll both be at your mama's house. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about your dad? You said, well, we fucked him too. So, uh, <laughs> Susie was not happy with that one. Uh, we, we go live on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We do upload video to Spotify. We're one of the few creators that was given a special key to do it, to set it up with. Um, at least back when it first started, I think they've opened it a lot more now. Uh, but, you know, we upload later to all those platforms so you can get this great content. And by great content, I meant, like, please be drunk when you listen to this. It makes more sense. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> The LP Veterans Caucus, leading libertarians to veteran issues, leading veterans to libertarian solutions. 
Um, Susan and I have been watching this show called The Last Ship. It's a lot of Navy content. There's a lot of there's a lot of semen in it, and not <laughs> the porn kind. Uh, well, it's kind of porny. I mean, the Navy's kind of, you know, gay. Yeah, I was going to let the Navy the Navy vet speak for it. But you can also find this merch. Um, I'm not actually wearing any of it today, just because I've been grab what was on top of the pile. But it's all amazing. The lunatic libertarian. He's in fact a lunatic and possibly a libertarian. I think he may be from the moon. That's why his logo is a partial moon. Um, we're not. We can't confirm this. There's been no research done on it, but we believe that he's from the moon. That's why he's a lunatic. But go check him out. Um, he's on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the all the podcasting platforms. Um, go check him out. He's had a lot of really great interviews. Mine was the best one he's ever done. Just going to say that outright. So go check it out. Sunday nights, check out Just BSing. It's the bootlegging Susie Q hour. Uh, we literally just sit around BSing. Uh, if you like trivia or you want to have a great time playing trivia, we started doing who said it and I'll pull up a bunch of quotes from different political figures or people just in general about politics and you can guess who said it Republican or Democrat. Uh, last week was a lot of fun. We had some technical issues, but you know, as we progress and move forward, it'll be, uh, it'll get better. So <clears throat> let's see who else we got. Notarealpodcast.com. Check out the website. It's right here. Got it right the first time. That's awesome. Redemption Tactical right here. Go check it out. Use that link. That's our special link. That's our magic link. It's magic. Uh, that's how you can buy a ballistic face mask. The click of a button. With the click of a button. Everybody has a plate carrier. Almost everybody. But do you know anybody with a ballistic face mask? Do you want a rot shield? Guess what? They sell those too. So go check them out. Prowlibertarian.com. They do all of our merch. And that's it. That's all I got. Um, so my guest tonight is Mr. Chris Hubbard. He is from the Appalachian Initiative, which obviously as a current Appalachian boy and resident and longtime resident, Wendigo hunter, uh, too. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting right here. You're a skinwalker, not a Wendigo. There's a difference. Be cultured about it at least. <laughs> Anyways. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Chris Hubbard. Hey. Oh, this is, I'm sorry. I'm kind of sorry, but I'm kind of not. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, it's fine. We're going to have fun tonight. Oh, yeah. So uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you all uh, inviting me on. I'm, I appreciate you coming on. A lot of people watch the show like, there's no way I'll do this shit. <laughs> no, everyone wants to be on our show. Everyone, I mean, everybody wants to be on the show all the time. We literally fight people daily to keep them off the show. Anybody who's anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you uh, are the founder, operator, big boss man for the Appalachian Initiative. Did you want to tell people a little bit about it, what it is you do? Well, whenever we started the business a little over two years ago, it's it's kind of it's kind of taken a change over the last few months, but the, the, the way that it started off is um, I'm originally from this area, originally from Manchester, Kentucky, in Clay County, uh, Southeastern Kentucky family grew up, you know, 
poor dirt farmers. We grew tobacco, you know, for, uh, for income. And, um, after high school, I moved away for 30 years between college, the military and, and you know, professional career kind of traveled around a little bit and then, um, moved back home three years ago and got to looking around and not a whole lot had changed in this area. You know, uh, if anything, it had gotten a little bit worse the, you know, the businesses were shut down, people had moved away, population was decreasing. Uh, buildings in the downtown areas were boarded up, windows broken out, uh, people struggling to find jobs, um, which was a, a, you know, a big issue with the, the population decreasing as people had to go where the jobs were. Um, of course, in this part of, of Kentucky, the, the federal government didn't help out with their uh, war on fossil fuels, and um, they really, really damaged the coal business. And so um, I got to looking around and I, after my, my military, my, my what I call my professional career, I was in local government for, for 12 years in, in uh, Florida. Um, I got into real estate and I was a real estate agent in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I was a real estate agent there. Moved here to Kentucky, got my real estate agent license here and decided instead of, you know, the day-to-day -day helping people buy and sell homes, which, which I do do, but I wanted to use my real estate license for good. And I wanted to try to rec recruit businesses to not just you know Eastern Kentucky, but all of Appalachia, and and try to build up a network of of other real estate agents to where we could assist each other, get the word out. You know, have Appalachia is open for business. Uh, we got a bunch of hardworking people here looking for jobs. Uh, cost of living's low. There's plenty of, uh, of cheap land, and um, and that's where we started at. And um, I, I love it. I love Appalachia, even though I lived you know away for 30 years. Uh, I mean, you, you can't get it out of your blood, you know, after you're growing up here. Yeah. Um, and that's, so one thing I do want to touch on is, you know, you're talking about bringing businesses to Appalachia, which the funny thing about it for people who don't live in the area who have never actually spent any real time here, there's a lot of industry all along Appalachia. I mean, the part of the world I live in, uh, part of the, the range I live in is, you know, it's a lot of chemical engineering. Um, we've got... Uh, the Eastman, we've got Dom Tar, we've got uh, actually the Eastman, the international headquarters is based out of uh, where I live at. Um, it's, a, it's a multi billion dollar company, but there's industry all up along it. And we're seeing all these companies escape places like Chicago or California and all these places. And I can't seem to figure out why they're not moving here. And I, I can understand the argument that, well, there's not a lot of infrastructure or there's not a lot of, you know, population, but the population that is here already is used to factory work or has done factory work or like that infrastructure to bring in raw materials for industry are already in these areas. And so have you seen a lot of these companies trying to move in or they're just not even looking at us at all? No, no, there's companies, there's companies that are looking here. Um, back this past September, mm -hmm. I, I got a phone call from a, a company and they were looking uh, which most people have heard of the CHIPS Act, which was passed by Congress in order to try to, you know, the, the federal government giving billions and billions of dollars to try to get chip manufacturers out of Taiwan and, and out of these other countries and come back to the United States because we're so heavily reliant on, on computer chips now, but very few of them are actually made in the United States. And so it's a, it's a you know, national security threat in, in addition to being a threat to the economy. And so this company was, was looking at Eastern Kentucky to, to build a large um, facility where they're going to manufacture chip components. And unfortunately, it didn't work out because uh, they needed a, a lot of property and, and there was only one um, industrial part, you know, that had that much land available. 
And the only problem is, is that industrial park couldn't provide the amount of water they wanted. But I mean, it was a $350 million project. It was going to employ anywhere from 250 to 300 people whenever it was complete. They estimated that starting off, it was going to be, you know, make $100 billion a year. And then, you know, the sky was the limit after that once it got into full-fledged production. So there are a lot of uh, places that are looking here. And kind of like I mentioned, I mean, we've got cheap land. We, we got some of the cheapest energy costs in the United States. Uh, cost of living is low. You know, you can come here and, and, you know, pay people in Appalachia a good wage, but you're still saving money compared to what people in California expect to get paid to do that same job. And so uh, there's people looking here. Um, my personal opinion is if, if the state and, and federal government and, and some of the NGOs would get out of the way, it would go a lot, a lot easier, a lot smoother. Yeah, I mean, the wage thing is actually really funny. So the, we've got the three big uh, manufacturers here. So we've got Holson Defense, which is um, a military contractor. They've been here since before the uh, Manhattan Project. We've got these, like I talked about, and you've got Domtar. And there are three businesses actually competing for the best working conditions because they keep losing people to the other places. And so right now, I think starting wage for any of those jobs, like their, their bottom of the line uh, entry point is like $20 an hour including benefits full-time, which is astronomical anywhere else. I mean, you're basically taking people who have at bare minimum high school diplomas and throwing them into an industry with $20 an hour, and then they're making close to 30 by the time, you know, they're at the end of five to 10 years. Um, so $30 an hour is a lot of money. I mean, you're looking at, what, close to, that's what, about 65000 a year? Yeah. Yeah, in the that ballpark. But, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I understand the necessity for needing the extra water, right? Because manufacturing does a lot of times require heavy amounts of water to cool pumps, to cool just uh, uh, stills or whatever kind of equipment that they're running. And one thing that a lot of people are kind of like, oh, that's one business, whatever. What they're not realizing too is that that one business would require maybe three or four other businesses move in to be suppliers or two or three other businesses move in to do maintenance for them. Cause not a lot of these. So like the factory work, typically they don't do a hundred percent of their own maintenance. They'll have outside contractors come in and rebuild pumps or do pipe work or all these other things. And so when you're bringing in one facility, you typically have two or three more companies that'll move in to supply them especially with chip manufacturers like and so the chips that you're talking about i assume from taiwan um they're the uh the what do they call them the comp uh, hyper complex microprocessor chips or whatever that's the big one that they're focused on in taiwan um if they move to somewhere like kentucky start manufacturing there guess what the companies that need that kind of stuff they'll probably want to move closer to that manufacturing position because guess what now they can just hop, skip, and jump, have it all put together and just ship it out the door. Or they'll have like a warehouse there so they can get the chips from them, blah, 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 blah. But it's not just a one key factor that, you know, a lot of people just think, see of it as one building being made. But typically long-term, 10 years, you're talking five or six other businesses that move in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, and even the, the people that get hired locally, like you said, this, this company that I was working with, they, you didn't need a college degree or anything. You know, high school diploma was fine. They were going to offer uh, free childcare on on their campus. And uh, in addition to all the other benefits. So it would have been a great company if we could have got it here. But 
uh, you know, like you're saying, there, there's two other uh, places within an hour of, of me who uh, make circuit boards um, and have been making circuit boards in this area for years. There's uh, car part manufacturers, there's uh, aircraft part manufacturers. Uh, you know, people, whenever, whenever people hear Appalachia, they think of, you know, a bunch of hillbillies and, you know, living in cabins and with dirt floors, and no education. And when you're here, I mean, it's 100%, you know, the opposite view. You know, reality is, is opposite of that view anyway. I mean, yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, a lot of like really big uh, engineering schools are in the South. Like UT, University of Tennessee is actually a huge engineering school. So it makes sense that a lot of these industry style uh, companies work in these areas because people don't like moving other places. Like I... You know, I did the living in Florida thing, you know, the, the beach life, and it's expensive. A lot of people, it's it wasn't for me. It's cramped up life. Um, but, I mean, you can have free space in all this industry, and it, it does blow people's minds. They, they're like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of hillbillies, like you said, you know, living in dirt floors and all that crap. And then they come in, and it's like massive booming industry that nobody knows about, which is great. I love it like that. I love, like, pe businesses know we're here but nobody else does. It kind of keeps the, the Californians and New Yorkers out because they, uh, they're they expecting to, to have a lower standard of living. Yeah, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with where where you are in Tennessee, but I know here in Kentucky, um, in addition to like high schools, they have technology centers where, you know, high school kids, if they want to go learn how to, to use CNC machines or routers or, you know, work on computers or anything high tech, you know, they have them there. Um, I mean, there's there's a school probably 20 minutes to the to uh, the east of me. And then in Hazard, Kentucky, there's a, a technology center there and they actually train people there to go work for NASA and the space program. So you're in like the southeast uh, section of the state, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. OK, because you said Hazard and I recognize that. Um... I'm actually in the, the northeast section of Tennessee, like far northeast. So I'm not far from you. Yeah. Um, but actually, the local high school here, they just did what I say was like a $2.6 million STEM add-on to their high school. $2.6 million. <laughs> it's a massive facility. And I was up there talking about um, <clears throat> politics to the to one of the uh, U.S. government uh, poli-sci classes up there. And it's a huge building. It looks like a college. I mean, it's nicer than the community college I went to in Northern Virginia. <laughs> Sorry, I, I get a little loud. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like they focus the uh, the environment around that stuff. And I mean, you're gonna have all these jobs that'll go away, right? Computer programming will eventually go away. People don't like the idea that AI will 100% take that job over. Um, yeah. Working uh, working drive through for a lot of places will probably go away. Um, you know, all these different industries will eventually shrivel up and die. Engineering will never die. Um, it still requires a human component. Repairing this equipment will never go away. Learning how to use this equipment will always be critical because guess what? AI can learn a lot of stuff, but they can't learn human intuition, number one. And number two, like the ability to just listen and taste and smell like, you know, a lot of times when equipment goes bad, you'll have a, you have a sound that goes with it or a smell to it, like a burning smell. Sometimes I worked in automotive for a long time. Sometimes you just got to taste the fluid. I don't always <laughs> recommend it depending on what industry you work in, but sometimes you got to taste it. And 
these these jobs will never ever go away and so we're we're seeing communities like yours and mine develop these these programs for kids at a younger and younger age um so that's awesome i'm glad to hear that they're doing that up there too yeah yeah it's great um and and you know really the sky's the limit for for anybody you know who wants to bring a corporation here a business here i mean in addition to all the other benefits that i've mentioned about the cheap land the cheap energy costs low labor costs I mean, just freedom. You're never going to find anywhere in the country more free than Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Tennessee, Western West Virginia. You know, everybody hears about Texas and Florida, but, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I've worked in Florida in local government. And I can tell you right now, you know, that uh, Ron DeSantis gets a lot of credit for, for promoting freedom in his state. But there's permits and regulations for everything at every level of the government. And uh, here in Kentucky, you know, working in the real estate business, people are surprised when they come in from out of state and, you know, they'll be looking at a, a piece of property. It's 100 acres. And they're like, well, how many houses can I build here? I don't know. How many you want to build? And they're like, well, isn't there a limit? No, this is the, here in Kentucky. This is your land. <laughs> you know, yeah. you want to build a house every acre? Fine. You want to build a duplex on every acre? You know, whatever you want to do, this this is your property. Out here in, in rural Kentucky, there's no land development regulations. There's, you know, nothing. It's This is your land. You're free to do whatever you want. And uh, it surprises a lot of people. They can't grasp that concept whenever they're they're not used to having that much freedom. Yeah, it is funny though, because I mean, I mean, we're in the same boat here. Um, we see we see people come in and they're asking about all these different regulations. Like, like even like you said, even Florida. We lived in the Southwest Florida for a while, and you know, people move here and they're like, "Oh, well, what's the what's the waiting period to buy a gun?" I'm like, "What waiting period? I mean, how long does it take to to sign the paperwork?" Um, <laughs> Like it, it is, it is funny. Like there's all this freedom that people in this area have forgotten that existed. Um, that yeah, I love, I love talking about that. It's hilarious. Like everybody's like, Florida's amazing. Look around DeSantis, and like anyone who's ever been there's like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so one big thing, because you are a smaller group, um, or I guess it's just you as of right now, as far as I understand. Yeah. It's it's me. I've got I've got a couple of guys that help me out, but they've got other full time jobs, and so you know I'm the primary person. So, um, with smaller groups, big thing, always the big thing is networking or being able to get your word out because people don't know about you yet. Um, so, how are you doing? Like networking? How are you like trying to get the word out? How are you um, able to connect to these businesses, or whether it's a small business, a startup, or a larger business? How are you able to to make these connections and try to convince them to move here? A lot of times it's, it's emails, you know, to the, to the company. I just go on to, to their company website, send them emails. Uh, sometimes I'll call, you know, especially if I, if I send them an email and I don't get a response, then I'll call. Um, you know, me being in my 50s, I still like the old school way of actually sending a, a, a letter in the mail. Um, surprisingly an actual physical letter uh, probably works best out of all the methods because people just aren't accustomed to getting the, you know letters like that and uh, yeah it's, it's more personal and uh you know makes them feel feel a little special i guess that you took the time to, to send them a letter and drop it in the mail and um and then you know sometimes i just badger people on twitter you know to try to get them to move their business here twitter yeah twitter so <laughs> I used to hate Twitter. I was never on Twitter. The last year, year and a half, I've been on Twitter like an insane person. I'm trying to move everything off of Facebook. I 
fucking hate Facebook. Um, but uh, that so that's actually really interesting. You know, you don't think about that because everybody has an email now. And so it used to be nobody had email. Uh, you would send a letter. They had an entire department that would just sort out junk mail. Right now, it's kind of flipped. All these companies have junk, massive junk mail folders, unless it's somebody that they specifically know for IT reasons. They don't open them. They don't look at them typically. Um, but if you send a letter in the mail now, there's like probably a stack this big that goes to the company anymore, unless it's like bills or whatever, something that they have to have in physical copy. They're like, "What the hell is this?" And they get curious. I'll be honest. There's a lot of there's a lot of kids that probably work there that are so young. They're like who the hell sends mail and they want to open it and see what the hell it's about. So that's actually a really interesting strategy. Especially, you know, like you're, you're you know, in my situation where I'm sending, uh, of course I target the liberal areas, you know, Illinois, California, uh, Washington state, Oregon, and, you know, they're receiving an actual physical letter from the Appalachia initiative and, you know, and it's addressed to them. It's going to the right place, you know, so like, what, what the hell are we getting from Appalachia, you know? And, uh, but like I said, it's, it's fucking hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, what are they? <laughs> yeah, we don't have internet, so I'm guessing mail. That's probably exactly what they're thinking. But you know, like I said, it it works better than you know in my in my experience, it works better than uh, than emails. Maybe instead of like bullying the ATF on Twitter, we'll just start sending them shitty memes in the mail, like physical mail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone will actually see it. Print them off and come and send it directly to them. Yeah, the next day we get a knock on the door. <laughs> Ooh, I ain't opening that. <laughs> but um, that's awesome. So, have you seen a lot of success? Oh, so let me ask this: How long have you been doing this? Well, that's what I was saying. We started a little bit over two years ago, and then like, when I, whenever you know we first started up, seen lots of success because originally, like when I was talking earlier, you come into these small towns here in, in Appalachia. And buildings are boarded up, businesses are closed. You know what businesses that do remain aren't aren't doing the greatest. And so, whenever we first formed this, my thoughts was is we'll try to help out these small towns. I want to I want to bring back small town America, and, and and really just working in real estate, it seems to be going that way anyway. People are fleeing New York, fleeing the cities on the West Coast, fleeing Chicago, you know, and and they're all moving to red areas. And so we're getting a lot of people who are buying land and real estate in the rural areas, but they're still having to drive, you know, two hours, three hours to a halfway decent city to do shopping and, and you know, do, do any kind of recreational activities. And so I want to try to bring back, you know, these small towns. And uh, plus, I just I love small towns anyway, you know, having grown up here. And um, but then as I was driving around again, you know, I'm, I'm sure you see the same thing. The federal government has spent hundreds of billions of dollars just all throughout Appalachia on industrial parks. And here in, in Eastern Kentucky, I mean, they're either mostly vacant or completely vacant. Like I was talking, you know, that, that about the one industrial park where they couldn't provide enough water. There's It's 300 acres and there's one business there that sets on maybe four acres. And other than that, I mean, you've got 300 acres of just flat land and, you know, empty and it's been empty for 20 years. And so that's where I got the idea to then start, you know, trying to recruit these big companies and, and help out. And, and the, the ideology or the, the, the way that I would make my money, because one of the ways whenever I was talking to these local governments or these industrial uh, boards or industrial authorities is, you know, I would tell them I'm a real estate agent. I'm willing to advertise your 
industrial park, your facilities, whatever you've got, I'll contact the businesses. I'll send them letters, any information, you know, that you've got about, you know, the park, its amenities, its, its infrastructure, anything that you want me to do, I will work for you for free. And in, in return of that, as I'm talking to these companies, if they do decide to move here, I'm going to drop the hint that, hey, I'm a real estate agent. You come in, your employees come in from out of state or whatever. I'll ask is the opportunity to, you know, to help you all find a house. And that's how I make my money on the back end. And, um, and places I talk to love that idea because it's not costing them anything. They're getting me to work for them for free. And even on the back end of it, I'm not getting anything, you know, from them anyway. I'm, I'm just helping people buy homes, which they're going to have to do anyway. And, and so it was a win-win for everybody. And I made the mistake in, in talking to an NGO here um, in Kentucky. And, and I won't mention their name because they're a pretty powerful NGO. And I'm sure I'm going to have to come across their path at some point in the future. What's a what's an NGO real quick? Non-governmental organization. It's, it's kind of oh, like, a, so like a nonprofit or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And but this one's like very, very political and, and it's got mm. some deep, deep political ties. And then it's also, you know, and it does a lot of things, you know, so, when you when you read what they're you know they're doing, they're trying to bring uh, businesses to Eastern Kentucky. They're trying to do infrastructure. They're you know just anything to promote and build this area. And so um, I spoke to them because you know me being me and I guess being naive, you know, thinking I was just going to you know try to help everybody is, is whenever I talk to them, they ask me, well, what's your business plan? And so I explained to them exactly like I did to you right then. You know, I'm willing to work for free and do all this work. Back in, you know, I may sell a house or two. I may not, you know, who knows, but I'm still going to, I'm still willing to do all this work for free to help out this area, the region and, and all the people who live here. And they asked me what, uh, you know, industrial parks that I was working with at that time, if any. And I said, oh, I'm, you know, working with this one. I'm working with this one. You know, I've, I've got a meeting set scheduled with this one. Literally, as soon as we got finished with that conversation, they went and contacted every industrial park that I was working with. And told them to stay away from me. That if if they utilized me instead of them, then it would cut them off from like possibility of getting grants, any kind of technical assistance that was offered by this organization. And and I didn't realize that until the very next day. Like I called everybody. Like you know, I was calling them every week. Like hey, you know, just call for my weekly checkup. Is there anything you want me to do? Any any certain businesses you want me to contact? Um, anything new going on in the industrial park I need to be aware of? I literally had this one industrial park say, hey, you must be great luck because we, we sold every piece of property in our industrial park and the one spec building that we had got rented. And that was a little over a year ago. And I can take you to that industrial park right now. And it is completely empty. There's nothing going on. But they were so intimidated by this NGO and possibly losing any kind of assistance from them that I was just pushed out of the pushed out of the picture completely. And so that's why I mentioned what, during the opening that over the last couple months or so um we've we've kind of changed direction okay so you you are so your new direction you fo you focus more on like smaller startup businesses or just kind of reaching out instead of working with the industrial parks you just focus more on the, the businesses themselves like i still contact businesses you know larger companies and everything else um one other thing about whenever you get into economic development, you normally have to contact a business on a regular basis, like every three months or so. Just stay in contact with them, touch base, make sure they don't forget you. And even then, it's going to take anywhere from two to five years to get someone to relocate to, you know, your area or, you know, give you the time of day to even come and, and look at your facilities. And 
you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not sure if we got two to five years to, to wait around, you know, to, you know, to, to get anything here or not. And so I still do that. You know, I'll see a business that I think is interesting to me, or, or maybe they're doing something different than other businesses aren't doing. And I think it'll be a good fit for, for either Eastern Kentucky or somewhere else in Appalachia. And I'll still reach out and contact them. But now the, the direction that we're kind of moving in is number one, and I'm going to break some news here that nobody's aware of yet. So, so this is breaking news, you know, for, for your show is we've started a, a um, nonprofit organization. And, um, and the goal is, is we're going to do the nonprofit and take care of some things, which I would go into later if you want to talk about it. And the other thing is we're going to start a capital, ma capital management company and actually take on investors. And the goal yeah. is we're going to take on investors and then actually buy the facilities ourselves and put the businesses in there ourselves. And then the investors will profit from that as well as, you know, the local population, local towns and cities. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I can see that streamlining a lot of stuff. Um, just, no middlemen. yeah, I mean, there's no, there's, you're not having to deal with these, these other entities that are just, you know, like middlemen that are just collecting something on, on the front end. Um, that can, oh my God, that's actually a really good idea. Cause I think that's what a lot of, businesses out west do too like um not not so much like industry development but like new startup companies for like technology development um svb is a bad example but there are organizations that work like that in a similar manner to to get things going and then they make a profit off their initial investment which is uh which is awesome the the direction that that i want to take this in is is like we're talking about with the small towns um, the town where I live here, Barberville, Kentucky, it's, it's uh, a good example. There's probably 24, 25 buildings downtown. It's a square with the, the, the courthouse in the, in the center of the square. And seven of those buildings are vacant, lots of broken out windows. The, the, the businesses that are there, most of them are attorney's offices or, um, or, or other charities to try to help out, you know, people. So there's, there's really no commerce, no retail, no restaurants to speak of. And um, after being in Florida and working in local government, I worked with a lot of developers down there. We were, we were right on the, my last city that I worked at, we, we were right on the, the Gulf. And um, if you live down there, you might've heard of the St. Joe Corporation. Um, but, you know, I worked extensively with the St. Joe Corporation on, on some of their projects that they were looking at doing. And St. Joe Corporation started off as a, as a paper company, and they owned hundreds of thousands of acres just all across Florida, and they would grow trees to use to make paper. Well, then with, tour, with tourism booming in Florida, they got into the resort building business. They would take, you know, some of their hundreds of thousands of acres that were in good locations and build resorts. And, I mean, it would start off as just a, a flat, you know, tree farm, and they would go in there and build everything. And so that's what I'm looking at here. You go throughout Appalachia, and you've got all these industrial parks that are vacant waiting for businesses to come in there well when you know the businesses that do come here some of them are hesitant about moving to this area just because the local town looks like it's you know out of a third world country somewhere and so the, you know why would they want to bring their corporation here and then their employees be stuck in this you know middle of nowhere with nothing to do nowhere to go and and the town looks like a war zone and so if 
you know, using the resort idea that the St. Joe company has, my logic is you can go in these towns that already exist. You've already got the structures built. You've already got the infrastructure in water, sewer, electric, uh, cable, internet's there, you know, everything is existing. You go in, you can buy those buildings for pennies on the dollar because, you know, most of them are in horrible, horrible shape. You, you rehab them, you know, using all this investor money and you buy enough of those buildings so that you can make it into more of a resort area. Think of like, you know, buying into uh, Gatlinburg back whenever Gatlinburg first started, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what I'm thinking. If you go into a town that's got 25 buildings downtown and you can get half those buildings and do, you know, four or five restaurants of different things, things for children to do, things for teenagers to do. Um, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of people here locally about, you know, how would you make this better? What businesses would you want to see come in? And we have a, a, a college here, you know, and there's absolutely nothing for the college students to do. And anytime I talk to a college student, you know, they they complain they've got to go 45 minutes to an hour away just to go to the movies. And so, you know, that's the direction I want to go in. And I think that there's a lot of, of upside to that. It's going to be a lot quicker turnaround. And, you know, and, and obviously every every small town in Appalachia is not going to, you know, look that way. But you start with one and in Eastern Kentucky, you do one in West Virginia, you do one in Eastern Tennessee, one in South uh, East Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, and you just do one in all 13 states of, of Appalachia. And then from that, you use that as a hub to then reach out to other places. And of course, you know, you want to make sure that they're close to things that people go are going to want to see either some sort of recreational activity, some sort of, you know, tourist attraction that's going to draw people there, make people want to be there. And, um, and I just think there's a, a huge upside, a huge potential, and, and a huge money maker for the investors that, that want to invest in this. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> two things. I mean, you know, people remember being in that college kid age, right? You're still pretty vain in picking a college. Like when you when you're looking at universities, you're like, oh, well, this has got all this cool stuff around campus that I can do. I'm not stuck on campus all the time, or I don't have to have a car. Like if you look at UT Knoxville, right? There's all the stuff all the way around it. There's stuff you can do. There's bars, movie theaters. There's all kinds of activities, right? But when you have a college that's really kind of out in the middle of nowhere, there's not much around it anymore. That does hurt the college. Uh, I mean, obviously, college is an educational institution, or depending on which college, the brainwashing institution. But <laughs> they they are in the business of making money. Colleges aren't there, you know, as nonprofits who are just hoping to, you know, educate the masses. They're looking to make money. So, you know, possibly working with somewhere like that to to say, look, we're trying to bring in business. You know, this will help you bring in new students or increase your student count, because guess what? They want stuff to do. This will give them stuff to do. This will give them attractions, reasons to come to the school. And the other thing, like you were talking about refurbishing the buildings that are already there. Why build an entire town when the town's already there? Why spend, you know, a hundred million dollars building all these buildings when you can spend maybe 25 million to refurbish everything? Uh, modernized and a lot of people honestly like the old school look our downtown has kind of had this revitalization in the last uh, 10 years a lot of the buildings still have the original artwork from back in the, the 40s and 50s when the town was really booming uh, people like that look so why not keep the old look refurbish it give it modern amenities like ethernet hookups throughout the whole building instead of running wires off the roof um <laughs> 
like make it make it functional but people like the old school look and i mean yeah that's 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 awesome yeah yeah and i agree completely you know talking to everybody um here locally and and that's another great thing about twitter is, is i've been able to network with other people in, in appalachia because i'm familiar with eastern kentucky obviously growing up here traveling around this area you know for the majority of the time that I, I travel around doing my job right now, it's here in Eastern Kentucky. But, you know, asking the, the other people in Appalachia, you know, give me some some other towns, because if I can't, do, you know, find a town here in Eastern Kentucky that's willing to work with me, you know, there's nothing saying that we have to do Eastern Kentucky first, you know, maybe come to, to Eastern Tennessee, maybe do West Virginia first, you know, just whatever town is willing to work with us to revitalize the whole downtown area and and try to get them on the on the right foot you know economically and then you know provide jobs for the locals and and you know just just kind of boost the entire area and i figured that once we do that first town then you could go to some bigger investors and say hey look this is what's possible you know this you know is it going to work everywhere but like i was saying you know you find the right location where you've got existing tourist attractions you've got existing you know industrial facilities you've got everything there except for a town where people can go spend their money. Well, we can take care of that town, like you said, you know, for instead of building a whole new town for hundred million, we can do it for 25 million. And on that 25 million, you put in, you know, a, a different and a wide selection of businesses and you control it. Like I was talking about with that resort mentality, you don't go in there and put in, you know, 20 burger joints. You go in there and you put in four or five restaurants, each serving a different thing. You put in four or five clothing stores, but each one of those are a different, you know, type and different style of clothing. You've got, you know, businesses that complement each other instead of being in direct competition with each other. And you give, you give people more of a reason to come there and shop and you stay local and people spend their money local and it further boosts the area. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, have you, because my big personal like policy push, the thing I know the absolute, in my opinion, the most about, because um, I own a gun store, are firearms. Um, we have a lot of firearms that are manufacturers, firearm manufacturers and ammo manufacturers who are like kind of scattered all over the country. But as we've seen, a lot of them are starting to get really nervous because of where they're located at because of this massive insurgency to push for holding gun manufacturers liable for stupid shit people do with their, their product. They're not saying do stupid shit with the product. They're saying do safe shit. But needless to say, that doesn't matter to a lot of people. So we're seeing these manufacturers looking very seriously at leaving where they're at and going to other states. Uh, we've seen places, uh, Smith & Wesson recently moved to Tennessee. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, where there's a couple of those that left and went to Texas. They went, they came from, uh, I think it was New England. They weren't large manufacturers that people would know, but we're seeing this this movement. Have you Have you reached out to them or have you heard of, you know, any more uh, companies that are looking to get out of these horrible areas, like just kind of California, New York ish areas. I, I've, I've contacted several. Um, and like you said, they're all worried. They're all scared. They're all trying to, to look into the future and, and determine what they're going to do. I know, um, I know there's a company on Twitter right now that we're friends with and, 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 you know, they're pretty popular and I believe they're in Oregon and they're they're looking to come to Appalachia, so. Um, who, they're, they're, do you, they're do you mind saying who it is? It's Weapon Outfitters. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know who that is. Yeah, they're they're. I believe the last time uh, 
I seen anything from them. They were looking at Tennessee or West Virginia. I don't know. I don't know what they hold against my beloved Kentucky, but uh, we weren't on the list. It's uh, it's probably the bourbon. They prefer whiskey. <laughs> they they prefer good alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's bourbon is in our blood here in Kentucky. I will say, I actually personally, I do prefer bourbon. My 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 drink of choice is either uh, Four Roses or Buffalo Trace. Depends on the. How how high class I want to go, but uh, yeah, I mean it's that's awesome. Like personally, I I would love to see every gun manufacturer move to Tennessee just because I'm me. I'd rather just walk down the street to uh to uh you know Sig Sour versus having to order it online. But yeah, I mean obviously that's not how it works. But it, you know, what I mean. um, yeah, yeah, I mean I'd love to see all of them move here, or to, at least to the area. I I mean yeah I. Would- I would like to see every gun manufacturer, ever ever ammunition manufacturer, move to Appalachia. You know, it don't necessarily have to be Eastern Kentucky, but just you know, Appalachia stand. We, we, um, we I, I tried I tried to bully PSA into coming up here, you know, because they're always promoting <laughs> for the the common man. And I said, you know, if if you claim to want to arm the Appalachia standies, then you know you need to come to Appalachia to open up, you know, your next business or your next uh, manufacturing facility. But then they're. they're they're loyal to South Carolina. For whatever reason. It, it can't be their politicians. Can't be the fucking roads. God, South Carolina's <laughs> horrible for roads. Like I think I think there's better roads in Kabul, Afghanistan, than there are in South Carolina. I'm just gonna be honest. They're pretty brutal, especially if you're going what down ninety-five through South Carolina. Holy God. 95 always amazed me because we, we lived in Savannah, Georgia, which is, you know, right there on the border between Georgia and South Carolina. And anytime we went north on 95, I was amazed at how bad I-95 I 95 was. I mean, it's like, how do you let an interstate get in that kind of condition? Oh, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, I've lived in Northern Virginia, just south of D.C., 95 runs through there. I thought that was a horrible stretch of highway. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> It is way worse in South Carolina. It's like they have, they took their entire budget for like fixing roads and they were like, you know what? We're going to do something else with it. We're not going to say what it's for, but we're just not going to do it. Or they just kept the budget for themselves. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but yeah, it's horrible. So, so you've got, so you've seen this massive insurgency. Well, so we'll get a little bit off of this a little bit because I want to talk about a couple other things because your, your Twitter account is banging for anyone who doesn't follow it. Um, Appreciate it. Uh, actually, I meant that. This is his website on the bottom. I meant to put it on earlier, but we, we jumped right into talking. Appalachianinitiative.com. Go check it out. Um, but so you... I'm sure, like you, like we talked about earlier, there's this ins- movement from California and New York and New e- like the New England area, um, Oregon, Washington State, Colorado. I've seen tons of people coming in from Colorado and Florida too. I see a lot of people coming from Florida too now because it's just the cost of living. Have you seen a change in like the dynamic of the politics in the region, or just people's overall like consensus on things? Have you felt this change, or have people? moved in and pretty much integrated with the culture that's there already. Where, where I'm at in Eastern Kentucky, like you see, you know, the the people from these other areas, you, you, you can tell them whenever you go out, you know, you'll see them to have a, a Bernie Sanders shirt on or, or, or something. Um, and, but I've not, I've not run across 
any kind of activities or act, you know, activism on their part. Uh, it's pretty conservative here, probably, you know, 90% Republican uh, here in this area of, of, of Eastern Kentucky. Like we'll have primary races where Republicans will face each other. And then whoever wins the primary wins the general election because there's no Democrats running, you know? So, yeah. and, and that's just the way it is here. And, and the, the biggest problem we have is indoctrination from the schools. Uh, that wow. seems to be, that seems to be affecting more of this area than people moving in from out of state. Is it more of like the public education that's doing it or like the college there that's doing it? No, public education. Public wow, education. really? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, there's things that are going, that are going on in the Kentucky education system that I never imagined, you know, I would see in my lifetime here in Eastern Kentucky, you know, the, with, with, you know, as, as conservative as it is, like I said, I mean, there's, you know, eight, in every county in eastern Kentucky, you're talking 80, 90 percent, you know, registered Republicans. Uh, some of them 95, 97 percent, you know, registered Republicans. And, you know, you got the whole pronoun issue. You've got the, you know, you can choose your own gender, choose or, or you know, choose your sex, whatever. And uh, and and the teachers, it's and it's coming from the schools. I mean, it, I've got nieces. It's like right build now. a bear for people. Yeah, yeah, but you, and, and it's and it's just amazing. They, my hometown, you know, Manchester, Kentucky. There, I've got two nieces that are in the school system. One's a a junior in high school, and the other one, I guess, is in either late elementary or, or middle school. And I mean, they tell me all the time that you know they in their classes they have the others. Um, who, you know, don't know what gender they are or, or, you know, they change genders on a daily basis and it's, you know, and the teachers are encouraging it and it's, it's just, it's just crazy, man. Yeah, we don't see that here in the public education system as much. Um, actually, with that, that uh, shooting at that private school in uh, Nashville, we've actually seen an, it's like a, a resurgence of this big push, especially here in Eastern Tennessee, of teachers saying, we want to carry in school. Like, we have the permits already. We went and did the eight-hour, you know, uh, what they call it, the, um, it's the top-level permit, 38 states you can carry in, blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah. we have the training. We want to protect our students. Let us do it. Like we, we are wanting to do these things and we're not seeing, and that's, that is funny. Cause we're like, we see this, like this big push of people from all these places we talked about, but we're not seeing a change in the public education. Now the college in uh, one of the other towns, um, it's, it's a big college town or big for a uh, big around here, big for, you know, anybody who's ever watched anything else. But um, we see a lot of like the, the kind of societal issues coming out of there, but it's not hyper aggressive. Like we see a lot of other places. Um, like they'll have certain rallies for like, you know, trans awareness day or gay pride. They'll have like these smaller events, but you're not talking, you know, thousands of people are showing up. You're seeing maybe a hundred, maybe 150 at most. Um, and they keep to themselves. Like they're, they're, they're polite about a lot of the stuff. Like they'll have the signs and stuff. You don't see them attacking people. I don't know if that's because people carry around here a lot more as <laughs> you see in some of these other areas. So they they realize fuck around and found out fuck around and find out is our uh, extensive pronoun around here. But um, I just I, I don't know. It seems more civil with stuff here than it was like that you see in like you know the Nashville sometimes or like a near DC or New York City or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, same way here in Eastern Kentucky. You're you're not going to see anybody getting attacked um, because yeah, everybody here carries, and uh, it, it's that's the last thing on anybody's mind is to to try to try to attack someone over their political views. Um, I don't know about Tennessee, but I know here in Kentucky, part of, you know the biggest issue with the education system is that the union has a you know the teachers' union has a lot of power. Oh, yeah. A lot of power, and it's all coming from them, and it, you know, and it goes down to the 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 younger liberal teachers, and you know, it's it's easy to see. But you know, this being a conservative area, like conservatives always get, you know, a bad reputation that we're bigots and we, you know, we're not accepting of people. Eastern Kentucky is probably one of the most accepting, most welcoming places, you know, that I've ever been. Um, People here, like for as long as you don't screw around with them, people here could care less what you do. Uh, the the biggest festival we have here locally is called the Daniel Boone Festival, and a good majority of this county, you know, turns out and goes to that every year. And this past year, I mean, there there was, you know, two trans kids there, you know, who were biological males, but they're walking around in dresses and stuff. Nobody cares. Nobody said a word to them. You know, I mean, it's whatever, you know, you don't screw with us and we can care less what you do. Um, so, you know, those, those stereotypes kind of hurt our area, but, you know, it's, it's another thing that's furthest from the truth whenever you're living here. Yeah, it is funny because, uh, you know, I used to work in that, that college town. I don't, I don't like saying where I live specifically because <laughs> it is a smaller population. I say a lot of things that piss people off, shockingly. <laughs> um, but... <clears throat> Um, I was working in college town, and you'll see trans people come in all the time. Literally, you can have some old, some old man. He's in his late seventies, early eighties, wearing a Donald Trump hat and a Reagan T-shirt or something. Whatever. He's sitting there minding his own business. He might look over, and I'm, but just goes back to what he's doing. And he might say something later after they left, or what, and they, but they're not they're not attacking anybody. They're not saying you fucking blah, 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 blah. They're just like keeping it themselves and they look at him like, what the hell? And, but it is, I mean, it is civilized. It is, it's a much calmer lifestyle. Even, like, it's just so amazing. I like, I tell everybody how much better we are than everybody else. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys are assholes. I'm like, yes, <laughs> but we're better than you. <laughs> yeah. Appalachian supremacy. <laughs> oh God, we can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely be labeled bigots then. No, it's. I need to get. I need to get some T-shirts printed up that say that. But I don't know, man. It's the, yeah, <laughs> Appalachian supremacy. I don't know. It's 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 crazy. You know, arguing with liberals on, on on Twitter. You know, they always want to insult anything about Appalachia, and it's it's pretty funny. You know, you can always tell when nobody's been here. You know. Yeah. If they make some kind of ignorant comment about Appalachia, then you know they've never been to this area. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've lived all over the world. I mean, I've lived in Europe. I've lived in uh, the Caribbean. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I've been all over the place. And what, what's really interesting about this part of the world that's different than everywhere else is we don't have, like, segregated communities. Like, people think of the South as segregation, but you look at New York, you've got, you know, you've got Chinatown, you've got Koreatown, you've got communities that are segregated by ethnicities. Here, everybody's just blended in together because we're all just trying to survive together. Um, you know, you'll have you'll have just just a hodgepodge of people who are like good neighbors. They cook for each other. They hang out. They go to the same church. They go to the same stores. And they all, it's just, 
it's just a community because everybody's I, I guess it's because there's more of a struggle i feel like you know poverty wise but everybody works together a lot better there's not this big divide between either ethnic groups or religious groups or whatever like i don't like there's a there's a there's a mosque there's a synagogue there's different kinds of like you know churches around here i when i lived near dc i heard more talk about people burning down mosques there on a regular basis than i've ever heard anyone say anything about it here i've never heard anyone say anything about it here yeah it's and um you know it's funny you say that because you know i'm older than you but growing up during the 70s and 80s you know people you know younger generation now would think about the 70s and 80s and, uh, you know being racist here in appalachia but like you were saying i mean growing up here i mean some of my best friends growing up you know were my black friends and uh, where I lived over in Manchester is a place called Pennington Hill, and it was probably 50% white, 50% black, and nobody, nobody mentioned race. We all hung out. I mean, we, I never even knew racism existed until going to college. And then when you go to college, you know, I, I went to University of Kentucky, so kind of similar to size and everything as, as Knoxville. And um, that was my first experience with racism, was in college, and I was like, wow, you know, this this is dumb, <laughs> but but it, but then you know, like you said, traveling around the, the world, tra- living in other places, and then coming back here to to southeastern Kentucky, it's it's the same way. I mean, it, it it never changed in that regard. There's none of this racial bullshit or or anything else, and everybody gets along. Every you know, here you ask somebody, you know, what they are, they're going to tell you a hillbilly. You know, they're not going to say yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a African American or Korean American or Spanish American. You know, we're all hillbillies around here. And it is funny because, like, I've li- like you know, we talked. We both have lived different places. The only place I've ever seen, ever seen, and it's 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 the most amazing thing too. Because, um, but this is the only place I've ever seen black guys who will buy lifted trucks and chew dip. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's it's. And they, nobody bats an eye at it. Nobody. But if you're, if you are, if you did that in like a big city, right? Like a black guy went and moved to like New York or whatever and did that, they would call him the worst names imaginable. <laughs> Here, everybody's like, hell yeah, what's, what wheels is them? Forge? Hell yeah, let's run. How do they run? Like, they have conversations with people. It's just, oh God, I love it so much. Dude, I can, I can do you one better than that. You know, I mentioned the, the Daniel Boone Festival this past year. And, and it's downtown around the square. And, and, you know, you've got vendors and food trucks that set up. Well, one of the vendors was this uh, company. It's owned and operated by, by you know, there's probably, uh, I don't know, six to eight, you know, black people there. They own the company. It's, it's what they do. But they're T-shirt and baseball cap vendors. And, you know, they've got different T-shirts with, you know, various things on them. And, you know, they're selling Trump shirts and stuff but they probably had 20 different items with the Confederate flag on, you know, and if, if, if black folks were to try to do that, you know, in a, in a large city, I mean, they would probably get mugged and all their stuff set on fire and destroyed. And here it's no big deal. I mean, it's, you know, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, a, it's just a Southern flag or Southern pride and people like it. And like I said, you know, these, these black folks were selling it and it's no big deal. My favorite thing is that we have a we have a Chinese restaurant here. It is owned by it's owned by a European family. It's run like the the kitchen staff is Mexican or Hispanic, and then the wait staff is like some kind of Asian descent. 
And so you got all that diversity there and nobody says anything. Nobody gives a shit because it's pretty good food. And uh, I mean, it's just, oh yeah. Um, let's see. There was, there was some big news that came out of Kentucky here recently, I thought. Um, oh, that was about, uh, what's his name? Uh, that senator y'all have. He's a, he's a Democrat, but he's not really a Democrat. Um, I can't remember what his name is. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't it wasn't huge news. It was it was bigger news, but it wasn't. Well, the the biggest news here in Kentucky recently, political wise, was the Kentucky legislature passed. You know, or if if you listen to the media, it was our version of the "Don't Say Gay" bill, uh, dealing mm-hmm. with trans in schools and stuff. Yeah. So okay, we yeah we passed that, and then uh, if you watch the at the national level uh, in the House of Representatives, we got Rep. Comer who is doing the investigations right now into the Biden family. And um, he, he's a, in charge of the committee that's doing that investigation. And he's coming out with a lot of info. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to be president and mishandle classified documents, but if you're a 21 year old on discord, it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, I made a joke when all this was really going on with Biden and Trump and all them. And like, they were just finding uh top secret documents everywhere i made a joke that uh that uh mcdonald's new toy that they're putting in the happy meals is a is a stack of classified documents and a crack pipe from hunter biden it was uh i mean it's just it's like everywhere you turn like like I, do i need to go check my garage and make sure i don't have any classified documents to go by in there i mean it just shit was everywhere i know man what'd you say the funniest, thing during, the, the funniest thing to me during that entire situation was watching the national media try to twist themselves into pretzels to say that Trump was wrong for having the classified documents that Pence and Biden, you know, were, were okay, that they didn't do anything wrong because they were willing to cooperate, you know, whenever they, they found their classified. Like, it doesn't really work that way, guys. Yeah, it is always the double standard, like watching the media, like that like that clip that opened up with. Um, they will twist and turn anything into, like, this is why we should be here. This is why you should listen to the news. You know, you're getting bad information. Like, recently, who was it? It was a USA Today um, ran an article basically saying extremists have found a new outlet for their hate podcasts. No, it's not hate, number one. And number two, you think we're extremists because we don't agree with you. And number three, yes, we had to go to podcasts because guess what? You started blocking us on Facebook or banning us on Facebook. You won't let us in the mainstream media. You won't let us tell the truth. So you're making sure that you're running this campaign, this smear campaign against smaller outlets who are trying to bring the truth to people because they don't want to lose their ability to manipulate the narrative and change the truth into whatever they perceive the truth to be i mean there was a what was what was that big uh story that we was we was talking about we was looking into um it was this my memory is shot there's a big story that we were looking into very recently you and i about we was what we was watching a video (laughs) this morning too i don't remember i'm i'm horrible at remembering uh, remembering things but basically, there's this massive news story um, that nobody was covering. Nobody. Like, you, you look it up, and there's, like, maybe three articles about it, and they're, like, way down on the bottom of the search, uh, search list for it. Um, 
but it's stuff like that. You know, there's massive news all over the planet. Um, that, and it's like the, oh, it was the, uh, the, the, the BRICS uh, agreement. Oh, yeah. yeah, where well, all these other countries are buying into the yen and they're like creating these new trade routes and all this stuff. And nobody covered it because guess what? They were more interested in watching Donald Trump fly from Florida to New York. Like, that's riveting television, I guess, <laughs> just watching a fucking airplane. But they're not giving you actual information, and you have to have these outlets. I'm not saying it's mine. I, I don't just like coming on here and talking shit. But, I mean, there, there's great outlets out there, and nobody wants to cover it. So when you have these stories, like the the document leaks or whatever, they try to twist it and make themselves look as amazing as possible. What I'm worried about, is, I don't know if you watched it, so with the whole ban TikTok at the Chinese spy app crap that they had in Congress, like all these 500-year-old congressmen that have no idea what the internet is still. <laughs> Drilled TikTok. Now we're going to see them watch and, and talk about Discord. Like, well, what's a Discord? How does it operate? Why is it on your phone? Like, they're going to ask these questions that they have no idea about. And they're going to blame the, the CEO of Discord for this kid leaking documents when in reality... The DOD just absolutely sucks at compartmentalizing top secret data. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agreed. And, and, you know, the one thing that they won't ask is, is you know, how, how was this 21 year old National Guardsman? I mean, how, how was he able to access all these CIA documents and everything else? Like, you know, what is our government doing? Are they just putting everything in one big folder where people can, you know, scan through it on their lunch break? I mean, it makes zero well, sense. They weren't even CIA documents. These were DOD strategies that they were coming up yeah. with with the Ukrainians. And you would think like, okay, so you, this, this kid's a, a low-level IT guy. He does like network security, ironically. And he's, he's a low-level guy. Why is it he's able to access these documents? They're not going to ask that question. No, they're going to blame they're going to blame the extremists or Discord or whoever they picked this week. It was Donald Trump's dog because Donald Trump's dog is bad too. Um, <laughs> And they'll never ask real questions like, why is the DOD putting all this information where a lot of people can easily access it? Like, there are companies that have two tiers of IT. They'll have, like, their IT department that kind of works specifically for really close information that they don't want everybody getting a hold of. And then they'll have the general IT that can't access the entire system. And it's just, why are these businesses doing it better than supposedly a you know, the DOD that's all about security OPSEC, um, but yet can't compartmentalize top secret data from some low level piss ant. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I've been out of the military for 20 some years, and it, I mean, from whenever I, I see stories like this, I'm just thinking that that would have never happened, you know, whenever I was active duty. Well, not to. Not to be a dick, but 20 years ago, not a lot. They didn't have the extensive data keeping network that they have now, too, either. Like 20 years ago, would have been, well, fuck, that'd have been 2000. Even then, 2000, like a lot of it was still uh, either making its way onto databases like that or it was still pen and paper. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like top secret data was typically kept local. Like there was no network for them to put it on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, if anytime you had top secret information, it was what we received anyway. It was generally a hard copy. And, they opened it up in front of you, and then as soon as they gave you the top secret information, they sealed it back up and took it back to the the skill for the safe or wherever in the hell it was going, and you know that was it. It wasn't on the computer where anybody could access it. 
Well, Chris, if people want to reach out to you, uh, where can they find you? They can find me at the website, AppalachiaInitiative.com. They can get me on Twitter. Uh, that's at Appalachia is great and great is spelled GR8. And um, just reach out. I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't get on Facebook anymore. I was so shadow banned on there. Anytime I would post something, maybe three people would see it. And it just got to be a, a big waste of time. Um, tw but, but Twitter or, or our website would be uh, the, the best locations. And uh, if anybody contacts me, we'll definitely get back in touch and uh, look forward to hearing from anyone and look forward to talking to you all again. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a, it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, you really woke me up to, uh, you know, how we should proceed with rebuilding these towns. And, you know, hopefully I can find some people in this area that be that would love to work with you. I'm not a real estate guy. I don't know that much about that kind of stuff. But I'm hoping I can find people in my area that would love to work with you so we can start doing it in my area and everything in between. So that's all. Yeah, if, if, yeah people, you know, real estate agents or people in the real estate industry in your area, um, you know, if you want to give them my contact information, uh, I'll be happy to, you know, give you all my cell phone number. They can call me anytime, uh, which anybody that contacts me, I mean, my, my cell phone number, you know, is out there in public. So I don't, I don't have a problem with giving it out to, to everyone. But uh, not only that, but if you're driving around East Tennessee and, and you see towns like what I'm talking about, where over 50 percent of the buildings are in horrible shape or dilapidated, then, then let me know the name of those towns. And, you know, because what I've been doing with the people on Twitter that have given me names of towns is contacting these towns, contacting real estate agents in those areas and just, you know, trying to, to reach out and, and network right now and uh, find locations where, you know, it might be a good a good a good next step for us to move forward on, on trying to revitalize these areas. Awesome. Yeah, man. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll see if we can't hook up at some point and get you going. And uh, um, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. It's been an awesome conversation. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. Bootleg. See you, buddy. That's a lot. I mean, it's, it's rebuilding towns. It's not building towns. It's rebuilding towns. A lot of times it feels like you're building brand new towns from the dilapidation and just just lack of commerce here anymore. But it is it, it is a better method of rebuilding these towns. It is a it is great to bring this industry in because not only is there a skilled workforce here, welders, pipe fitters, electricians, all those things. There's land for cheap. There's natural resources like water. And obviously industrial parks are different because you can a lot of times you'll have to pump water in there. But you look at the, you know, putting a, a, a facility right on a river that's, you know, unpolluted and it's clean. And these companies aren't polluting like they say they are. They're not dumping thousands of pounds of chemicals in the river. That's the government. That's that's Norfolk Southern. That's uh, so relationships with the governing bodies are already here you already mm -hmm. know what permits you need you already know how the epa is involved things like that and beyond that it's primed for market diversity it just doesn't have to be industrial chemical right? yeah. it can be a variety of things it could be like you said support and maintenance companies that come here it can be things that we no longer need to outsource it could be a, a place to go to lunch for everyone right there yep. the room for market diversity is endless here and i was when we started talking he and i on twitter I, I said specifically Kingsport. You go to downtown Kingsport, half of it is empty yeah. and it's dilapidated and it could use a facelift. And there's a lot of people who just don't know about it. I mean, that's my two cents.
<laughs> two cents from Susie. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's all of it. So I'm I'm really excited to see where he goes with this. I really hope it, it takes off for him and he gets a lot of good traction all over the place. Um, I don't think we should leave on some good news. Should we? I mean, the whole episode's been good news. Um, well, let's see. Where, where can we go? Oh, here we go. Um, if you're in a Discord server, right, and someone's trying to bully you into leaking top <laughs> secret documents, probably don't do it. Um, I don't think governments should keep secrets from their people. But also leaking them on Discord because someone called you a cuck. It kind of makes you more of a cuck. Yeah, it, 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 it looks worse on you. I mean, if you did it because, you know, you support my man Edward Snowden because governments shouldn't keep secrets from people. Um, that makes a sense. That makes sense. But, uh, you know, probably don't do it. Or at least try to cut, like hide yourself a little bit better. Don't do it somewhere where people know you. Anyways, that's all I got for you tonight. Y'all have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday for Just BSing. Love y'all. Be free, all that good stuff. Peace.